today we're starting a new series. It's called Buck Naked. And uh, it is about money. It's, it's a special three-week series on managing your money. We thought that after the holidays and after the, um, the tough year most of us have had financially, that it might be good just to spend some time taking a look at what uh, the Bible has to say about this issue. And I, I want to promise you, let me just say from the get-go, I promise you that this will not be a series that beats you up. My intent is not to shame or guilt you. I really don't want you leaving here today or the next couple of weeks thinking, man, I'm an idiot, I've failed, I'm miserable, I don't know what I'm doing. That's not my intent. Uh, my intent is to help you, to give you some very practical and biblical information that you can use to move towards financial freedom and health. And really, all I'm going to be able to cover in three weeks are some, some uh, essential foundational things. There are other things provided that we have here that I'll mention later that you can do. But this would be really helpful, I hope, to some of you. you know, it's estimated that about 70% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. That means that most of us, uh, for, for the most part in this room, have too much, too much month left at the end of the money that we're struggling to get by. You know, money is fun if you've got some, some and not so much fun if you don't. Back in my 20s, uh, I made some really horrible financial decisions. Now, let me insert here because I had a high school kid who will go unnamed a few weeks ago when I said something about back in my 20s. and said, I didn't know you were alive in the 20s. No, I said back in my 20s, when I was 20-something, uh, I made a whole lot of financial mistakes. And uh, I actually, I could tell you a, lo a lot of stories, but I actually had one of the biggest ones was I had an RV that I purchased, repossessed, when I was about 26 uh, years old. And I'll never forget the embarrassment, the agony, the horrible feeling as the guy knocked on my door. I opened it. I, I knew immediately what was going on. He said, can I have the keys, please? And I watched him drive that thing away down the street. And it was, it was a horrible feeling. So I've been there, and I take full responsibility for my stupid mistakes. I was a financial idiot. I was, especially in the early years of my marriage and early 20s of my life. But honestly, the truth is, nobody ever taught me how to manage finances. Nobody ever taught me. I know that they, they have some basic finance classes in high school now, but I never really had anybody sit down and show me how to put things together and how to manage my money until my stepdad stepped in and helped me when I got really into trouble. But that's why I want to take a few weeks to give you some encouragement and to teach you some valuable and important lessons I learned the hard way. Because listen to me, guys. Here's a little insight. You really don't have to learn everything the hard way. I learned a lot of lessons the hard way. You can learn from the mistakes of others. You can learn from my mistakes. And so listen carefully. And if you find yourself buck naked, you're struggling financially, or even if you're doing relatively okay, but you still feel like you can learn some things that might help you, this series really is going to be for you. And if you think, well, man, I have got it nailed. I could teach this class, you know, this stuff better than Kurt. Great. Then you just take really good notes and you give it away. You pass it on to others. You be a, a teacher in someone else's life. Today, again, I want to address some basic attitudes. We're not going to be very long. I want to address some basic attitudes that will hopefully give you the right frame of mind uh, and, and some basic things you need to address so that we, we can get into more detail in the next couple of weeks. And I want you to see the struggle for what it is. And there are some things here that you need to understand. The first one, if you're taking notes today, number one, struggling with money is normal. Struggling is normal. Now, nobody likes to struggle. I, I know that. I don't think there's a person in this room that this week at some point prayed, oh God, give me more struggles. And probably nobody woke up this morning saying, well, I hope this is a day filled with struggle. I mean, it's just not 
our human nature to, to want that to happen. We, we try to avoid it at all costs. That's our human nature. We will avoid struggle at all costs. But the truth is we all do struggle, and especially in this area of money. Uh, one last survey question, please. Uh, just one more. How many of you have ever done something stupid or at least silly with money in your life? Let me raise your hands. Yeah, look around the room. And those that didn't raise their hands are either napping or they, they what, you're talking to me? You know, that I mean, every one of us have made at least one mistake in our life. Of course we have. And the, I've never met a person that hasn't made some mistakes. And even if you've not made a lot of mistakes, and I'm happy for you if that's the case, statistically, the majority of Americans are still living hand to mouth. They're still living from paycheck to paycheck, and that's a scary place to be because one big oops, and most of us have oops sooner or later, one thing happens, unexpected thing, your transmission goes out in your car, then you're in trouble because you don't have any extra money to take care of things. But I want you to understand, and here's my point today, I want to start with this. I don't want you to beat yourself up anymore. I want you to understand that struggling is normal, and you're surrounded by people who've made mistakes along the way. If you're worried about bills, if you're worried about putting food on the table for your babies, if you're worried about longer-term things like, how am I going to pay for my 19 kids to go to college, or how am I going to retire someday, if those are things that you care about, then you are normal. It's okay. Now, I had a conversation with a guy several years ago who was depressed and discouraged and, and couldn't even make eye contact with me as he sat in my office and told me about his financial condition, and he felt so bad. And, and I told him, I said, listen, brother, I understand you've made some mistakes. I know you feel bad, but you are in good company. You're in really good company. And so I, there's not a whole lot of health that's going to come from just beating yourself up or letting the enemy beat you up. It just doesn't make a lot of sense because here's the thing. And I want you to hear me say this. God's grace and mercy extends even to our finances. We just sang about his amazing grace. And I want you to hear this today. God's grace his mercy extends to you even in the realm of your finances. You see, when we get focused just on our mistakes in any area, but it's certainly true in the area of finances, when we get focused just on that, then here's what happens. We lose hope. We tend to isolate. We withdraw from God and from others. When you think you're the only one who's ever made a stupid financial decision, when you're embarrassed about the stuff that you've done or the situation you've got yourself into, then the tendency is we withdraw. We, because of our embarrassment, we hide. We, we want to try to you know, get the old fig leaves out and try to cover our nakedness rather than be honest about it. Listen, I am not making light of bad decisions you might have made. And I am not saying it's no big deal. I understand that it is because I've made plenty of them. I'm just saying, listen, I'm just saying maybe it's better to bring our sin and light to God and to get help rather than cower in the darkness of shame and guilt. Maybe instead of denying or trying to hide it or not getting real or honest with ourselves or with others, it's better for us to just bring it to the light and to say, you know what, I have made some mistakes and I do need help. I love the practical wisdom found in James. James is one of those books that will rock your world, and it's filled with very, very practical, almost in-your-face you know, advice. But James 5.16 says this, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confess your sins to each other and then pray for each other so that you may find wholeness. Notice here James does not say, If you've got some sin, confess it. Nope, he says, confess it. 
He just simply assumes, expects that we've all failed. He knows that that's the reality. And he also knows the power of honest confession and mutual support. You know, I mentioned in our survey some of the groups we have, AA and NA and, and divorce care and grief care and all those other groups. What the power in those groups is that there's honesty and there's mutual support. And I respect people that are involved in those, those groups because they've made a decision to be honest, to get real, and to get help. And I want to suggest to you that in all of our lives, in all areas of our life, where we are failing, where we've made mistakes, where we need help, it's smart to just say, yeah, I struggle. Yeah, I've made some mistakes. Yeah, I need help. Yes, I need to confess and to get mutual support, to get help from other people. The reason why I want you to embrace the reality of struggle and that we all do is because until you do so, you probably won't get the help you desperately need. And I know that because I was embarrassed. I just kind of hid it. I didn't want to go and admit to somebody I was a blithering idiot when it came to finances. But until I did, I couldn't get the help I needed. And so I want to challenge you. Before we go any further in this series, decide now. Make a decision. I am challenging you to make a decision to stop hiding in shame, to stop hiding in guilt, and to get help. Confess your sin and get help. And here's some practical things you can do. Ask for help from someone who's good with his or her finances. There's probably somebody, I hope somebody in your life, who you'd say, boy, that, that guy really seems to know what he's doing. That person really need, seems to have it all together. She really seems to be doing well. Ask them. Can you help me? Can you give me an advice? Here's another thing you do. Go see a credit counselor. Now, make sure you pick a good one and, and uh, go to a place that's going to help you. But if you're in debt up your eyeballs and you're in trouble, then go. Go see a credit counselor. And here's another very practical thing you can do. You can sign up to attend the next Financial Peace Seminar right here at East Point. We run it a couple times a year. We're going to try and do it more often. And it's 13 weeks. It's cost you 100 bucks for the materials. We don't make money off of it. But you can sign up. And it's starting the last Tuesday of this month. And it runs for 13. You think, well, I don't know if I can make that kind of commitment. Some of you can't afford not to make that kind of commitment. They think, man, if I had 100 bucks, I wouldn't need to go to a financial peace seminar. <laughs> Find a way. You know, get the money. And I promise you this. I guarantee you this. That if you sign up for that and you pay the 100 bucks and you go through that class, that by the end of that class, you will save thousands of dollars. That 100 bucks you pay for the materials. Again, we're not making money off of it. It's the money we have to pay for all the materials that are needed for that class. If you do that, by the end of those 13 weeks, you would have saved and paid off the 100 bucks that you spent to get into it. No question. Guarantee it. You'll save some of you thousands of dollars from the, some of the practical wisdom you'll get from this class. And we run it here on a regular basis out in the lobby today. You can stop there. There's a table out there. Sign up for it today. Struggling is normal. The question is, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to hide in guilt and shame? Or are you going to get the help you need? Here's the next thing. Number two. Struggling is often the result of our beliefs and behavior. And things won't get better until we admit this reality. Now, I just said that I, I don't want to add guilt and the guilt's not very productive, and I'm, so I'm not making this statement to pour on more guilt and shame. I'm not. But again, under the category of getting honest, being real, the truth is to get better and to get healthy, we probably need to change some false beliefs and some bad behavior. We just have some things that need to change. And again, here, the struggling can lead to change. 
if, and here's the if, if we're willing to take an honest look at what the problem is, if we're willing to take a look at what's going on and see what the problem is, and generally speaking, we are the problem. I have met the enemy, and it is me. I'm the one. I've made some mistakes. And here's been my pattern of thinking and the way I operated in my early 20s. I've, for the last 30 years, for the most part, I haven't. But for a long time, this is the way I thought. Maybe you can recognize some of this in your own thinking. Here's one thing I did. I confused desire with need. Now, don't raise your hands. But anybody here ever confused desire with need? I need, I need, I need. And it's really not a need. It's a want. It's a desire. And I, I, was, I was infamous. I, I, am, I am the world's best rationalizer. I could easily rationalize just about anything I really wanted. And I would try to talk to my wife. And my wife is a wise Irish woman. So she's pretty frugal and, and uh, usually didn't buy my, 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 my garbage. But I could rationalize just about anything that I, I wanted. Now, I bought that RV. Here was my rationalization. We're going to say, honey. And she just looked at me. Honey, we're going to save all this money on vacations. Now, think rationally with me for a second, because I wasn't. You go on vacation one week, maybe two weeks out of the year. Okay, maybe for one or two weeks out of 52, I might save a little bit of money by not going to a motel, you know, or, or staying someplace else. But, you know, and again, if you own an RV, I'm not slamming you for that. As long as it's a good investment for you, that's all. But for me, A, I couldn't afford the monthly payment. B, they're money pits especially the old broken down ones, and they're gas hogs. So here's my thinking. I'm going to save money one week a year with an RV, and 51 weeks out of the year, I'm going to be pouring money into this thing and losing money because I've got it. Not real smart, but I convinced myself that this was a smart thing to do. I confused desire with need. Here's another pattern of thinking that I fell into. I believe the cultural lie that more, new, and bigger is always better. And by the way, that's a lie. That more, new, and bigger is always better. Now, some of you think, well, yeah, wait, wait. Yeah, sometimes more is better. Sometimes bigger is better. Sometimes new is better. I know that. But that's not always the case. And often, very often, what you've got is just fine. I'm, I've been coveting for, for months now an iPhone. I, I covet them. I, I admit that to you. I really do. I want an iPhone. But I don't need an iPhone. But I watch these stupid commercials, you know, and these, these, and they, I watch the commercials. And, by, by the way, did you know that commercials are designed to make you covet? No. Something like one. What? Yeah, they're designed to make you discontent. And so, you know, it's, they're really not that good a thing to watch. But, you know, I'll watch these commercials about all the cool stuff. I was watching this one last night while I was watching football. And, and, and this, what the iPhones can do now in their pictures and how I can get rid of red eye on my iPhone. I need that. <laughs> no, I don't. My phone's fine. It really is. It's fine. But I, again, I believe the cultural lie that more, newer, and bigger is always better. And that, that's a lie. Here's another thing, another pattern of thinking. Boy, some of you are really looking beat up. Relax, okay? Take a breath. It's okay. I love you. It's, I'm just being honest about my stuff here. I'm just suggesting maybe you can relate. But here's another pattern of thinking. I, I would think, well, I can afford my credit limit, and I'll quickly and easily pay it off. Some people go, ugh. I mean, my, my thinking was, now, my bank wouldn't give me a $10,000 line of credit if they didn't think I was good for it, right? 
Let me just burst a little bubble here, okay? You ready for this? Guys, your banks really don't care about you. Now, they might want to give you good customer service and they care about your business. But when it comes right down to it, they really don't care. I, was, I worked 10 years in banking, and trust me, what they care about is making money and making money off your interest. And if you are paying the minimum on your credit card bill and, and you've got $3,000 in debt on that puppy and you're paying $33 a month and $99 in interest, they're happy. They don't care. But again, part of the lie is we think, well, I can afford my... And how many times have I thought this? I will quickly and easily... I know, I, yeah, I know, I'm going to extend... I'm going to take a little bit of a risk now, but three months from now, I'll be able to pay that off because I'm pretty sure I'm going to get a tax return. Well, maybe you should wait for the tax return and do it that way rather than assume. Assumptions get you in trouble. Proverbs 21. The wisdom of... I could spend weeks in Proverbs on finances. His wisdom is astounding. Let me read you just a couple of verses. Proverbs 21, verse 5. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Verse 17, same chapter. Those who love pleasure become poor. Those who love wine and luxury will never be rich. The wisdom here is a hasty shortcut, like using a credit card, can lead to trouble. Loving pleasure, like needing the newest toy, can lead to poverty. Our culture and Madison Street marketing tells us that going into debt is something everybody does, and it's really not that big a deal, and you need to do it to be happy. That's what we've been taught in America. Everybody does it. Everybody's got it. It's not that big a deal. I have to have debt if I'm going to be happy. But the truth is, I have never met anybody who was financially healthy because of their cash back points. You know, I'm really, I've never met a millionaire who, who you know, spent himself, spent himself into, into great fortunes and just got into debt, 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 debt. It doesn't happen that way. And so let me just recap again real quick. So I want to make sure you understand some of the false beliefs that I had that maybe you have that need to change. I confuse desire with need. I believe that I deserve the latest and the greatest. I bought the lie, and then I presumed. And we get in lots of trouble. I presumed upon the future by going into debt just because I could. Not very smart. And then on top of all of that, I had another false belief, and this is one that I, I think uh, is very, very prevalent in our culture today, and it's the idea that more money will fix all our problems. And it's a false belief. Now, hang with me, because some of you, oh, no, it's not. I, if I had more money, if I just won the lottery, I'd be fine. No, it's a false belief that more money will fix all our problems because my problem, and probably yours, isn't rooted in the amount of money I have or don't have, but in the way I manage the resources that I have. Now, next week we'll get into more practical things about how to manage. But believe it or not, and I hope you do believe it, money isn't the cure-all. And I know, I know that that goes completely against the flow of our culture, completely upstream from what everybody else is saying. But money isn't the cure-all. Let me just put it to you this way. If you're bad at managing $1,000 a month, then I can guarantee you you're going to be bad at managing $10,000 a month. Money's not the problem. Our skills, our management, our practices are. I mean, how many times have you read about or heard about some sports guy or some famous actor who makes it big and then blows it all? More money usually only makes us more of who we are. If we were a poor jerk, we'll just be a rich jerk. It's not going to change our, our character, our problems. 
I read some time ago about a young guy, and I don't remember the, all the gory details, but I remember this, what struck me about the story was he made like $10 million a year. Now, I, I did the math. I got my calculator out. That's $200,000 about there a week. $27,000 a day. I mean, that's just insane. Does anybody else find that insane that, that we would pay anybody to throw a football? or to, It just makes no sense to me. But that's a lot of money. And he did what people do when they fall into a lot of money. He went out and bought all the toys, the fast cars, the big expensive house, bought a house for his mom, did all these other things that he, that he suddenly could do because he had this money, presuming that he would have it next year. Or the year after that, and then, if I recall, I think he blew his knee out. But whatever it was, he had a career-ending injury, and he lost it all. Within two years' time, he was bankrupt and had lost it all. You see, it's not just what you make, but how you manage what you make. Let me say it again. Write it down if you're taking notes. It's not just what you make. We think, I just need to make more money. I need to, I need to, no. It's not just what you make, but how you manage what you make. One of the wisest things my stepdad Frank did to me when I got into trouble was that he didn't just throw money at my problem. Now, believe me, what I wanted him to do was just throw money at me. And, and, and my dad, my stepdad was, you know, uh, smart, financially sound, and he could have written me a check to bail me out. He didn't do that. Instead of writing me a check, he set me down and he showed me how to write a budget and showed me how to, to track my finances. And so let me say it again gently. Let me say it one more time. For most of us, the problem isn't money. It isn't. The problem is our false beliefs and our own bad behavior. We believe the wrong things. I need, I need, I need. I can pay that off later. We believe the wrong things. And therefore, we do stupid things, and then we end up in trouble. We tend to blame everybody else and want a federal financial bailout to get us out of trouble. Now, I know that might sound a bit harsh, but financial healing, recovery, never happens until we see our false beliefs for what they are and we have a change in our behavior. Struggling. And I know this is true because I've seen it in the lives of really thousands over the last 30 years. Struggling is often a result, a result of false beliefs and bad behavior. And it, we're not going to get any better. You are not going to get any better until you admit that reality. And so here's some good news. You ready? Here's some good news. The struggling that comes from the things that we've believed or the mistakes we've made, our pain, our struggles, and even our mistakes, they can be a good teacher. I want to finish with a little hope for you today. They can be a good teacher if, if you'll let God use them to help you get back on track. Rather than wallow in your pain, rather than deny your pain, rather than blame others for your pain and your struggle, let pain be your teacher. I would probably pretty safe, be safe in saying that 30, 40% of you listening to me right now, whether it's in this room or online, that you have some serious financial struggles that you're dealing with, some things that you're concerned with that are a problem for you. And there's some pain, there's some turmoil, there's some angst as a result of all of that. Again, what I'm encouraging you to do today is to let that pain be a teacher in your life. Hebrews 12, 11, the writer of Hebrews wrote this, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. It's never fun. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living. Isn't that great, a great phrase? A peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. The biblical principle here can be summarized in five words. Pain can lead to gain. Pain can lead to gain. Your pain 
can bring about something good in your life if you'll let God use it, if you let it become this, this tool to carve, to mold, to shape, to form you into the man or the woman God wants you to be. God can and will use your pain in your life if you'll let him. But only if you let, him sh- let it show you where you've gone wrong and how God wants you to get back on track. I've got a buddy who has filed bankruptcy three times in his life. Three times. I didn't even know you could do it that many times. I guess it's every seven or ten years, whatever. Three times he's filed bankruptcy. And what's really tragic about his situation, two very, very sad things. One is that he is completely unbothered by his actions. He's done it. If you ask him, well, how do you feel about that? He says, ah, corporations, you know, they can afford it. It's not the big deal. And, you know, blah, 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 blah. And he's completely unbothered by his actions. What he doesn't understand is that guess who's paying for his mistakes? Yeah. It's not out of the kindness of their hearts that the banks do. That's passed on. The cost to us is passed on to everybody else. And he's, but he's completely unbothered. doesn't even see it. Completely unbothered by it. The second thing that's really sad is that he hasn't learned from his past mistakes. I've watched him do it again and again and again. Three times. And he hasn't learned a thing from his mistakes, which is why he keeps spinning himself into trouble. And what's really sad and what really breaks my heart is that his financial foolishness has cost him two marriages. Two. I haven't read recently if the statistics are still accurate, but it used to be for quite some time that about 50% of the divorces in our country were related in some way, one way or another, to financial struggle, to financial issues. And his foolishness, his failure, has cost him two marriages, not just one, two, directly related back to his mistakes here. And he could have learned, but he hasn't chosen to. Let me say it again. Let me finish with this. We all make mistakes. We all fail. We probably have all failed financially at least once in our life. But God's plan for you is that you grow through your mistakes, that you grow through those struggles, and that you don't just go through them. Do you hear the difference? God gets that we're going to fail. Do you know that? That's why his grace is amazing. He knows that we make mistakes. He knows that we are but dust, that we're humans. That along the way, we make really poor choices. He gets that. But whether we grow through them or just go through them is, in large part, up to us. And it starts with a change in our beliefs leading to a change in our behavior. We embrace the reality that everybody struggles. We stop hiding our guilt and our shame. And then we look at our stuff for what it is. And say, God, use this. Help me to become smarter, wiser, better. Grow me through this, Lord. Next week, we're going to take a look at uh, how to get three ways to get more bang for your buck. But today, I want you to leave here seeing this. That struggle. See, struggle for what it is. Struggle is normal. And struggle is a result of our beliefs and behaviors. But they can change by his grace. Bow your heads. Let me pray for you. Father, I know that um, most of us, again, have thought of things in our past that we've done, maybe in our present that we've done, where we need your grace, we need your help. And I'm so grateful, God, that you are faithful to us, that you are kind to us, that you are merciful to us, that your grace abounds to us, God. I'm thankful, Lord, that you love us so much that you'll help us find a way out of the pit we've dug ourselves into. That God is a good father. You are right there waiting for us to cry out to you waiting for us to call out to you, waiting for us to get honest and real and then to grow through these things that we've been dealing with. And I know that's possible. I know it is. And so, God, I pray today that not one person 
in this room or one person listening online would leave here feeling guilted or shamed or beat up, but instead they'd leave challenged, that they'd leave encouraged to know that you care for them and that you've got a plan for them and that it's for good and not evil to give them a future and a hope and that you've got a plan, Lord, and that they just need to take a hold of it and that over the next couple of weeks you'd begin to show them some things they can do, real practical things, biblical things they can do to put in their life that will bring about some healing and wholeness and recovery in this area. God, thank you for your goodness to us. Help us to hold on to you and to focus on you, not just on us. I'm going to ask you to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet begun your life as a Christ follower. And we've been talking about grace, which is that unmerited favor, that goodness of God, his mercy, which is what he doesn't give us what we deserve. And I, I, I want you to know today, if you're here and you're ready to begin your life as a Christ follower, and you know that you need God in your life, you know that you need him, and you're ready to surrender your life to him and to say yes to God, I'm going to pray this very simple prayer right now. And it's, it's a simple prayer, but what's profound is your choice at a heart level to say, yes, God, that's me. And I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to single you out or embarrass you, but I am going to pray this prayer. And if this is what you want, if you're ready, you know and you're knower, you need God, and you're ready to surrender your life to him, just make this prayer yours right now. In your own way, say, yes, God, that's me. Make this prayer yours. Father, forgive me, for I have failed. I've sinned against you. I've, I've made plenty of mistakes. And I know I've gone my own way, and I've gone far from you. And today I admit I need you. I need a Savior. I need you to help me find my way back to, to relationship with God. Jesus, I need your grace. I need your mercy. And so I choose to surrender my life, to surrender my past, my present, my future, all that I am, all that I hope to be. I surrender it all to you. And right here, right now, this this day, I say yes to you. And I ask you now to come and fill my heart, my life, my mind with your presence, with your love, with your power. And help me to walk with you every day. From here into eternity, I'm yours. Thank you for being mine. Now, if that's you, again, just say, yeah, God, that's me. And every week we have three, four, five, ten people make that decision. Be one of them today. Say, yes, God, that's what I need. And the Bible says the moment you do, the moment you say yes to him, you become his child. You're adopted into his family. I know things you haven't figured out, things you don't get, that's okay. God will get you there. It's the first step of many. But today, you are his and he is yours. Thank you, Lord, for those that have made that decision. Seal that truth in their hearts. and Show them more and more what that means. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish with a song of worship. The is going to come. We're going to pass those bags at the communication cards. Now would be a time to drop those in the, uh, the bag. We're going to give as we worship. Again, we give because we love God and what he's doing. So let's worship as we give. I'll come back and wrap it up.